Hey, I'm Jan. And I'm Jared. And we're both librarians at Manhattan Public Library. Welcome to the Read MHK podcast. Read MHK is a community-wide reading program aimed at building connections through books and sharing experiences with each other. Each month, we speak with a local community member, talk about books based on a theme, and offer reading suggestions. This month's theme is new and shiny books, or to put it another way, books that debuted in 2021. Although it feels like the year just started last month, it's actually nearly over. And that means it's a good time to look back on all the new books that came out this year, catch the ones you missed, and update your to-read list. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of books are published each year, which sounds a little daunting. But luckily for you, the library is here to help. We can help you find the books you're looking for, show you how to search our new and most popular books, and teach you how to use resources like Novelist Plus to help find your next favorite book. Our guests today are Linda Nupp, the current director of Manhattan Public Library, and Marcy Allen, our collection services manager. Both Linda and Marcy will be retiring at the end of this year, so we're glad we got them on the podcast before they go off to explore their interests outside the library. Linda has worked in libraries across the state, large and small, public and corporate. Her very first library job was at Manhattan Public Library, and after exploring other options, she returned in 2001 to work as the assistant director and became director in 2011. She grew up using the Wichita Public Library and school libraries in USD 259. When she's not working, she likes to... Read, of course, and a variety of other things. And the first book Linda remembers reading as a child is... The Pokey Little Puppy, a golden book. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, five little puppies go out into the wide, wide world. I love that book. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I grew up reading that at my grandma's house. Oh. Mm -hmm. Those old golden books, they just bring back such memories. They do. It has Mm -hmm. adventure. It's got food recipes almost with the rice pudding, chocolate custard. And cute puppies. You can't go wrong with that. Marcy is a native of Manhattan, Kansas, where her father was a professor in the College of Agriculture at KSU. She attended KSU, earning both her BA and MA degrees in English. She taught English to middle school and high school students for many years before joining MPL staff some 21 years ago. When she's not working, she likes to... Mm, Read a lot of different books of different genres. Also, I do a lot of gardening that includes roses, hydrangeas, and hot peppers of all kinds, and also taking long walks with my neighbor and her rescued Belgian Malinois. We love that little dog. And do you go for the hottest peppers, or do you like peppers that actually taste good? These are actually lethal. Okay. Um, (laughs) Truly, they are. With names like Carolina Reaper, which is Mm. absolutely dreadful, we like to see how dangerous we can get. (laughs) Invite the neighbors over. Yes. Yes. And the first book Marcy remembers reading as a child is? Has to be an adventure with Dick and Jane. Mm. Go, Jane, go, see Dick run, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We first learn how to put words together and to actually recognize them on the page. Thrilling moments. Absolutely. I remember those as well. Can you tell us a favorite memory you have relating to books and or libraries? Well, I, I grew up using libraries, and I enjoyed visiting the public library with my mother when I was very young. And it was often kind of one of the first things you'd do when school let out in the summer. we either go to the library or the pool or to Joyland Amusement Park in Wichita. And it was a treat. And then when I was older, I was able to take the bus downtown to the library to meet friends or to study. And so that was one of the first things I could do independently as a young person. 
And I have really great memories of working here at Manhattan Public Library, of course, with a number of people who've been volunteers and supporters with past staff and present staff. So lots of good memories in libraries across Kansas as well. What was one of your favorite libraries besides Manhattan to work Um, in? Well, I liked something about all of them, but I'd have to Mm -hmm. say Wichita Public Library is one of my favorites since that's where I grew up. So was it fun going back? Working there after, you know, you had been going there since you were a kid. It was. It was fun to be in the building that they moved into in the 60s. And they've moved since then, of course. Okay. But it was fun to do that and to visit all the branch libraries and all the services across Wichita. So I did enjoy that very much, working in the urban library system. That would be interesting. What about you, Marcy? Oh, I'd have to say one of my favorite memories was going to the old Carnegie Library, which is located just west of the courthouse. How exciting it was to go to the children's room on the second floor, and there was a big design in the middle of the floor, and there was an older woman who ran the children's library who seemed intimidating, but she was always kind of eager to place books right in your hands, so that was kind of fun. And then I worked at that same library later on when I was in high school, and it was a time when we were getting ready to move over into this building. So we had to uh, pack up all the books into boxes. And then when we arrived over here, people just threw the boxes out on the floor and everything lost its order. So we no. had to start all over. We had, we <laughs> no. had to quick read all the shelves and <laughs> see if we could fill them up and get going from there. But it was kind of funny because at the time, this was like 1969, this place seemed huge. Oh, I can imagine. And there was an underlying fear that we wouldn't be able to fill it with books. So times change. Wow, I I can't imagine trying to... I'm, I, I can see all of those boxes of books and just go, oh my gosh, where did these all go? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty strange, yes. <laughs> but it worked out, so that was good. a good part. If you had to be trapped in the world of a book, what book would you choose? Well, I would take Louise Penny's World in the Village of Three Pines. If you've read those stories about Inspector Gamache, I believe Penny has written something like 19 books. And Three Pines is a little fictional village located somewhere south of Montreal. And it's just kind of a protected little place. And it's kind of surrounded by forests, which makes it very attractive. And it has little shops in the center of the town. But it's the people who are the real draw of those stories. Some of them are kind of eccentric, and there's one that tends to be downright vulgar, but they're incredibly kind people, and they give the whole place kind of a a nice little atmosphere. These are mysteries, so there are always crimes of, of a serious nature involved, but the care that these neighbors feel towards one another is priceless, and that's one of the sweetest parts of the books. That's really cool. It kind of reminds me almost of like some Wendell Berry. Very of. much so. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. much so. Very pleasant to read. And as long as you remain a main character, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of yes. the... Well, actually, no. We've lost a main character or two. So oh. got to have a little element of surprise in there sometimes. Okay. Okay. That was a really good answer, Marcy. I never thought about it, but I like that town, too. Have you read those, too? I have. I've enjoyed them. So if I was in The Lord of the Rings, I would like to live in Rivendell or the Shire, but I wouldn't want to live in Mortar or even White Tower. (laughs) So just those nice parts with the natural landscaping and the dancing and the song and the ale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the ale, of course. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I've often thought that Rivendell would be, mm-hmm. would be one of my favorite places to go. Me, too. Yes. 
Do you judge a book by the cover? I do. And I have. I was a judge for the Kansas Authors Club Award last year, and the award was It Looks Like a Million, uh, and it's a contest for the cover and the formatting and the overall appeal and the type and the look of the book. So the design can tell so much about a story and have appeal. Uh, the book that was the winner was The Real Education of T.J. Crowley, mm-hmm. a book set in 1968 Wichita about racial divide and uh, a family in the 60s who live in a neighborhood just as things are becoming integrated and the Fair Housing Act comes into effect. And the cover really illustrated that through the fence and the typeset you really knew, got a feel for what the story was through the design and the art. So yeah, often I do. It has a lot of appeal when you look at the cover of a book. I think these days that everybody is putting a little bit more into it and not back just Mm -hmm. where it was just a plain title, Mm -hmm. author and everything. It's the colors that they use and the depictions that they portray on the front are often fun. Yeah. You don't want to let it stop you from exploring new things, but it certainly has that initial appeal. And often a certain imprint would have a certain designer look too. If you Mm. are a reader of a certain imprint Mm -hmm. or publisher, you could identify something you liked through that look as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. I have to agree with you, Linda. I judge a book by its cover all the time. Um, Every day. (laughs) That's right. Books. (laughs) I feel like if people have really put the work into the book, then it deserves a good and decent cover. Mm -hmm. And if the quality of the artwork looks like maybe something I had a hand in, I'm not going to read it. (laughs) I expect covers to be professionally done. And that's just something that I look for. The more striking the cover, the more inclined I think I am and anyone else would be to pick that book up and take a look at it and to see just what that's about. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yes, judge by the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Judge away. (laughs) What role do books and stories play in bringing a community together or even creating a community? I think the stories keep our history and show us what future possibilities might be. Those stories really connect us to each other and to our community and to the larger world. They help us imagine and understand other people and other lives and experiences that we just can't live in one life. There's been a lot of research and activity about books building empathy when you try to understand another character or an experience that you won't have, whether you live in an urban, rural area, another country, another time, another Mm -hmm. planet. You get a lot of experience through reading that you just can't get elsewhere. And I would agree completely. I think books allow us to have a shared experience that we might Mm -hmm. not have otherwise. And since they rely so heavily on the power of imagination, when we talk about books, we have a wonderful opportunity to share our feelings and impressions and opinions with other people. And we may find that we disagree with others about, you know, the quality of a book. We've all had this experience where we recommend a book to someone and they hate it, (laughs) which is kind of defeating. How dare you? I know. (laughs) This is my favorite book. (laughs) But it teaches us to look at things a little bit differently. And I think it becomes a treasure, a book does, when a community of people experience it. I definitely agree. And that's what we're trying to do with Read MHK is... We develop empathy through reading. So we want to grow our community. And if we can do that by introducing some new books that people like, then I think that's wonderful. What are a few of your favorite books that have come out this year? 
Well, I have to say some of these might have come out last year. Okay. So 2020, 2021. <laughs> I think that can totally be expected okay. since these years have blended together. Okay. Yeah, I've been thinking about this since you asked the question, but one of my favorites was Becoming Duchess Goldblatt, and the author is anonymous. It's a story behind the creation of a Twitter character, Duchess Goldblatt, and she is a fictional character in 17th century garb who's probably in her 80s. And she rules her loyal followers on Twitter from the town of Crooked Path, New York. But it's just a delight to read the Twitter account and to read the book of the account of how she came to develop this character after a really painful divorce and separation from her child, a difficult loss from a job that she'd had a long time in an industry she loved working at, and wanting to connect with people, but wanting to do it this way through her writing and through this persona of Duchess Goldblatt in just short Burst of communication because Facebook was just too much. So, <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. <laughs> but it, but it really is a delight, and it still has an active community of followers. But the story is very genuine and very uplifting. She forms a very close relationship with the singer Lyle Lovett through it. She mentions him a lot, and finally they meet in person, and she reveals her true self. But not everybody knows who the Duchess is. It's a private thing. So, but it is a delight, and the Twitter account is fun to watch as well. That sounds wonderful. I am totally putting that on hold. <laughs> I would highly recommend it. Linda told me to read it, uh-huh. and I enjoyed it, too. It's The connection with Lyle Lovett was kind of fascinating. <laughs> that is very interesting. <laughs> the two of them just kind of came together at a concert, and she was so excited. She burst into tears, I believe, to meet him. She did. She was very, very uh. moved to do it. They, they kind of arranged to meet after she kept mentioning him on Twitter. Did she have a crush on him, or was it just like a... Oh, she was a fan, definitely. Also, the Ladybird Diner in Lawrence has a Mm -hmm. pie named after the Duchess. Oh, really? So there's a connection there as well with a special pie in honor of the Duchess. Oh, that's wonderful. But she really has created this fun community on a social media account, when sometimes social media is so... Negative. Negative, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great word for it. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a really positive, fun place. I really like that. I'm totally going to check that out. I hope you do. I hope you enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> Not at work, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, on your break, maybe. Okay, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I have three books that I would highly recommend to anyone that I had read this year. The first of them is a book entitled Late City by Robert Olin Butler. When I picked this book up, I wasn't sure if I would like it. It focuses on an elderly man's final days in a nursing home, and I didn't know if I was going to want to experience that with him. He has a really declining state of health. His name is Sam Cunningham, and along as he is declining, he believes himself to be visited by God, and God starts talking to him in his mind, and they discuss many things, and Sam realizes that there was something missing from his life, and God says, well, let's take a look at this, and we'll go back to when you were very, very young, and we'll go through your experiences to see what it is you're missing. So the two of them have flashbacks of when Sam was a very young boy and he was abused by a father. He runs off to join World War I and becomes a sniper. And he can't really deal with that, as many people cannot. He is married and later has a son and becomes a very successful publisher of a newspaper. But he realizes his life is kind of incomplete. So as he comes closer and closer to the point where he is now, he begins to realize that he missed a lot of moments in his life that would have opened a better understanding and a greater love with his family and other people that he knew. It's a very touching book, and it has one of the neatest 
revelations at the end that I've seen in a book in a long time. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because you have to read the book and find (laughs) out. I thought, boy, I see now why Robert Olin Butler was a Pulitzer Prize winner. To pull that together like that is amazing. A second book I've read and recommended to a lot of people is a book entitled A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. She studies the classics. She was particularly fond of the Iliad and the Odyssey. We've all had experiences with the Iliad and the Odyssey. And we know about the gods and the goddesses and the heroes and the scoundrels and everybody else. But she develops her story in a different way. It's fiction, and it's short little chapters from the points of view of the women only. So there's a long section about Hecate, the former queen of Troy, for example, who witnessed the death of her husband in battle and the killing of her sons. And she, along with all the other Trojan women, are camped on the seashore waiting to be taken back to Greece and become slaves. And in just this little section, we realize what a brave woman she is and how she has a sense of stoicism. It's like, well, we knew this could happen. And here it is. She also talks, and by she I mean Natalie Haynes, about Penelope, who was the wife of Odysseus. If you remember from the Iliad, he was gone for something like 20 years. She keeps writing him letters. Where are you? Things are bad here. (laughs) All these suitors want to marry me so they can have all your property. What are you going to do about this? And that's kind of interesting. In addition, you have sections that are the goddesses and how jealous they were of each other and how they manipulate people and they trick them and all kinds of things. It's a beautiful book, and it's really kind of fun to look at the Iliad and the Odyssey with the same tone as the originals, but from a totally different point of view. What happened to these people afterwards? Good stories. Oh, wow. You guys are just making my list longer. (laughs) I like that concept of writing the exact same book, but different characters. Mm -hmm. You would love this one. It's a full world. It's amazing. It's amazing. Did anybody read Circe? It kind of reminds me of that. Oh, yeah. With the point of view from... The spurned goddess. Oh, yes. (laughs) We have to. (laughs) And the third book I wanted to talk about was the story of Grinnell. He was kind of a, almost a 'er ne'er-do-well. This is a true story. This is his biography, who lived in the 19th century. This book was written by John Talafiero, and he was an amazing man. I had never heard of him. He lived six lives all at once. He traveled to the West with Othniel March. Othniel, what a first name. Wow. Nobody has that anymore. <laughs> Vieil traveled to Wyoming to try to discover dinosaur bones. Mm. And so Grinnell traveled along with him to see what they could come up with, and they discovered all kinds of things. But more than that, he discovered a love of the West. And this was before anything was really, truly spoiled in the West. He met, unbelievably, George Armstrong Custer and went with him to explore the Black Hills. He was invited to go with George Armstrong Custer to the Little Bighorn, but he was unable to commit. Oh, shucks. Gosh. There's there's fate. (laughs) Fate plays a big part. Fate stepped in. (laughs) He was a close friend of Theodore Roosevelt. Can you imagine? Wow. And in fact, he helped Roosevelt establish the national park system, notably Glacier National Park, if you've been there. It's one of the most beautiful spots in the world. And in fact, there's even a lake named after Grinnell up there because he went back several times, nearly got killed several times. Let's go in the winter and see what (laughs) happens. like, you know, that kind of thing. So he had a definite wild experiences then. He became a crucial figure in 
ornithology, self-taught. Really? He became a great advocate of preserving migratory birds. He also made friends with lots of native people in the West, and he wrote incredible sociological books about those people. So there was very little he didn't know about the West, and he just loved it and kept going back again and again. His list of friends is amazing. It's like a capsule of the whole 19th century. <laughs> wow. Good stuff. That's all I know about. Those three, those, three, <laughs> those three have been my standouts from the year. Those are three very good ones. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I've got three on my list now, Marcy. Those sound great. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll be fighting over them. <laughs> you go right ahead. I believe we have them downloadable, too. Oh, those are my favorites. <laughs> especially if it's on Hoopla and I can listen to it while I'm walking. There you go. That's my fave. Well, one other I really enjoyed while I'm just finishing it up is The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. And that is the final third book in her trilogy of the Thomas Cromwell story under King Henry VIII. And so it starts where Wolf Hall, bring up the bodies left off with Anne Boleyn being beheaded. And now Thomas Cromwell has to convince the king who would be his heir. And he is marrying Jane Seymour, but there's more to come. Um, so he keeps rising in power until the final end. But I do recommend the series. It's, it's intriguing, it's interesting, and it's hard to put down. And that's funny because in other books, they always portray him as, you know, so awful and horrible. And I'm just like, oh, I just don't like that guy. He just needs to get out of here. So (laughs) she portrays him as a really interesting character who's come up from a very hard scrabble life and has made something of himself who's very tender toward his family and loyal to people he's close to, but also has to play these political games to survive. So that's what makes it a pretty fascinating story. That does sound very fascinating because it gives you a completely different look than than what we've been given. It really does. Just for fun, I enjoyed Devolution by Max Brooks, Mel Brooks' son. So so that was fun. It was a story about survival. There's kind of an idealistic community up in the Northwest until there's a volcanic explosion. And then all of a sudden, something comes creeping down the mountain and screaming at night, and people start to disappear. And so Sasquatch, what's happened when you upset the ecological balance? You pay for it. Ooh. <laughs> and this was the same author who wrote World War Z yes. a few oh, years ago. Yes. Okay. That was Kinda very similar. popular. Yes. Very popular. And those Sasquatch, they're smart. They learn <laughs> quickly, don't they? You don't mess with Mother Nature. No, you do not. We should all learn that lesson. But on a more optimistic note, uh, Jane Goodall just has a new book out called The Book of Hope. And mm-hmm. I also have it downloadable from our Overdrive library. And she acknowledges that undeniable damage that we've done to the earth and how we have upset the ecological balance. But somebody who has worked in the field her whole career, and she's in her 80s now, really does express a sense of hope through the young people and their efforts and just tries to express that even small changes can make a difference and it's not too late, but we have to start now. She's always very positive in that respect whenever, you know, we, I remember going to see her when mm-hmm. she was up at K-State. That's right. And I took my only child at the time, Marley, and she was very interested in that. And Marley even got to meet her and had her sign her book. Oh, she wow. was just such a beautiful soul who just really cares. And she does hope. And you know where some of us are kind of like, oh, well, you you get downhearted when you see the plastic in the oceans and all of the other things. So is it an audiobook? It is an audiobook. Is it her reading it? Um, I don't remember, Jan. Okay. Okay. I love it when it's the author who reads it. I think it might be. Yeah, that makes a difference in the book sometimes. 
What has working in the library taught you about the importance of books, reading, and libraries in the lives of the people in our community? Well, I'd say that Manhattan really is a library town. When I worked here 30 years ago, the former director, Margaret Gates, told me that, and she was right. I remember when I resigned from that first job to take a job in Wichita, she said, oh, you don't want to go there. Those people don't (laughs) care about libraries, which isn't completely true. But she was right that people in Manhattan care about a library like no other town I've worked in in Kansas. And I think what it shows is is that people of all backgrounds, whether they're longtime residents or people who come into this community new, which happens a lot with the Mm -hmm. fort, with students, all enjoy the library. And we see people from every economic background, all kinds of interests, all come to this library as a place for the community, and they really do support it, and they really care. And I think that evidence comes through my experience at this library and seeing so many people volunteer to help us, whether that's on our foundation board, our friends group, or our governing board of people who volunteer and give their talents and time and dedication to this library. And and I greatly appreciate that through the years. You know, their work and past boards and past directors has really made this a, a, a terrific library for Manhattan. I think we all can agree on that. I think we can. <laughs> Let's do it. I would say that Manhattan has demonstrated that books will always be very important to the people, regardless of formats. You know, last year when we were shut down for a while, we beefed up our collections of downloadable books, and people loved it. People love being able to still get to the materials, the stories, the nonfiction that they were so fond of. And then we thought, well, when the people come back into the library, will they still want to read paper books? And they do. They like a little bit of everything. So we're seeing high usage on downloadable as well as print, as well as every other different format that we have. And yes, indeed, we are a community of readers and people love that. So that's a wonderful network we have, and we love giving people the materials that they want. So that's what we do and enjoy. It's always so fun to see new families come into the library mm-hmm. and walk around the children's library, and they're just like, oh my gosh. And even when they're up here and walking around, I think one of the comments we get most from people is like, this is such a cool library. We are very fortunate here. We are. It's a beautiful facility and a wonderful community, and the staff and all the people who support the library really care about services. Absolutely. I think that's definitely true. I think everyone cares. One of my favorite questions that we get is, how many books can I check out? (laughs) And when I say, as many as you can carry, they always get excited. When we're asking that in the children's library with the second graders, they always ask that question. And it's like, oh, well, as many as you can carry. Can I check them all out? <laughs> it's like, well, I think your mom might have something to say about that. But <laughs> if you have the truck capacity to check them out and then bring them back three weeks later. Okay, our final question. What has been your favorite part of working in libraries? Oh, I think the people that I've met, you know, all kinds of characters and all kinds of interesting people and people you learn from. And then just the stories. It's fun to be around these kinds of materials, to see what's coming in, to see what people are reading and enjoying, and just being part of a place that really matters and contributes to the social fabric of the community. Wherever you're at in a public library, you get to have that role. Linda took my answer. (laughs) (laughs) I would just say, yeah, it's the people, it's the interactions we have with them. From what I've seen in this library, we have an amazing staff. And I think that I've been lucky enough to meet so many different personalities and different interests that that's got to be rewarding for me personally. And I've truly enjoyed working here. 
and I will miss that in a couple of months. So that's going to be kind of tough. Well, don't worry. I might be asking you to volunteer. <laughs> well, you know what? I can do that. I, awesome. I think I might have a little extra time to give you. you know? Wonderful. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank well, thank you, you. Thank you for asking us. We really appreciate that. And I know I speak from all of us here at the library that we appreciate your dedication and service that you have given us throughout these years and that we will all miss you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Read MHK or sign up for the program, you can go to our website, mhklibrary.org. There you can find book suggestions based on each month's themes, log the books you've read for the month, and find information on upcoming programs. And if you'd like to contact us, send an email to refstaff at mhklibrary.org. Thanks for listening.